Good evening and welcome to Brit on Messianic Synagogue's Tuesday evening study. And we're doing it on recording again this week and we will also be doing it by recording next week and then we'll be live back in the synagogue the following week. Uh, we're doing this for a number of reasons, but one of those is the temperature changes and just not wanting people to have to get out in the cold, nor wanting to run the heater in our entire sanctuary uh, so that we can heat that room for a couple of hours and spend that money. We'd rather use that money wisely uh, for other things. So uh, a couple of upcoming announcements that I wanted to get into right away. Purim is this Thursday at 5 o'clock. We're having our special service and we will be supporting the local food pantry, so please be ready to donate food items. And they have specifically requested snack type items. So let me encourage you to get some of those little cup things that have the, uh, the raisins and nuts and cheese and the different things like that that can have for snack that would be on the healthier side uh, for them. Uh, also, uh, if you want to bring money, we're just going to donate money and let them buy the snacks they want. We're also having a hamantash and cook-off uh, with a special prize for the winner. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, start your engines, make your hamantash and bring them on Thursday evening. And directly after our service, we'll have our hamantash and tasting. We'll declare the winner and... Um, uh, and then you'll get a prize. And I wanted to remind you, please don't tell me, because I've had a number of people call me and tell me or text me and tell me what flavor hamantashen they're planning on making. Please remember, I'm one of the judges. So please don't tell me what you're going to be making unless there's an accompanying bribe along with it. So thank you for that. Also, Perm is a time to dress up in costumes. We ask that everybody would dress if they're coming in costume in a modest costume that is Purim related. So, and we will also be giving a prize to the best costume this uh, Thursday night. Congregational clothing swap uh, will be this Saturday after service in the sanctuary. And let me reiterate, when we say clothing swap, we're talking about bringing clothing from home that's in good condition, no holes, that's clean, and placing those clothes out for other people that might need them, can wear them, to use them. It is not taking off your clothes that you're currently wearing and swapping them with other people. So this is clothing swap in a righteous manner. So we just want to make sure you understand that. Next Sunday... At 2.30 is Jonathan and Catherine's wedding shower, which is February the 28th. So that's at 2.30 in the afternoon. We encourage everybody to come and show love to Jonathan and Catherine. Tuesday night's Bible study next week will also be Romans in Context. It will also be pre-recorded on video and uh, aired at 6.30. Save the dates for VTS, July 19th through 23rd. And I want to say also, we invite those from out of town, out of our area, that want to bring their kids for that week. Uh, we have a number of people that come down. They spend the week uh, either in a camper or somewhere and bring their kids for that. You are welcome to do that. You do not have to be a part of our synagogue locally in order to participate. And if you're from around Pensacola and you may attend a different house of worship or somewhere and you want to bring your kids, they are welcome here also. This is not only for the kids from our immediate synagogue family, but for all children uh, that would like to attend. Uh, we're looking for volunteers uh, to help with VTS. We're looking for volunteers to help with our Mevo, our video recording on Shabbat and on Tuesday night, and we're looking for volunteers to drive 
our congregational members around. We have a number of people that at times, for instance, we have a couple of people that have had surgery on their feet or their arms or different things and aren't able to drive and need rides, uh, rides to doctor's appointments and various PT appointments and things like that. If you're available to do that, please let us know. The synagogue will cover your gas expense uh, for transporting those people. So please help us with that if you're able to. The synagogue is getting painted. We're giving it a facelift outside. Uh, we have just under $3,000 of our goal of $9,500 that's been raised so far. If you feel led and you're able to, please help us to meet that goal. And then also, please remember that uh, we have our VTS set building meeting March the 5th at 2 o'clock. So those that are able to help us build the set uh, work in preparation for that, March the 5th at 2 o'clock will be the first VTS set building meeting. Um, and then Hagadot for Passover. We've ordered a number of them. They'll be available. They're $6 a piece. If you would like some for you and your family, please contact the office so we can make sure uh, that you're on the list and that uh, you pay for those uh, Hagadot so that uh, we recoup the money that we advance to pay for them. And then really excited about this, we have a new website coming out shortly and we now have an app for our synagogue and you can go either in the Android marketplace or the App Store and download the app. Just look under Brit Om Messianic Synagogue, download it to your phone. The app is not completely updated, but it is available. And one of the really cool things about the app, once it's all finished and set up, is that there's an internal chat uh, message center on there so that we can communicate back and forth through the app uh, kind of like you would do on Facebook Messenger. So that's available for download now, and we ask you to go ahead if you're part of our community, uh, whether it's local or virtual, download the app so you can be kept uh, up with what's going on in our congregation, uh, upcoming events, special things going on, prayer needs, things like that. Uh, when we talk about prayer needs, please remember to pray for Fred and Robin. Fred is in the hospital with pneumonia, so we ask for you to pray for him. Uh, and for Robin, who has her own medical uh, issues she's dealing with. We want healing for both of them, and uh, so please be praying for them. Jerry and Sandy, Robert and Marquita, Miss Mabel, Jeremy, Misha, Zach, Jake, Gordon, Rabbi Joe Bell, Daniel, Ken, uh, Glenn, Kevin, Will, Timothy and Anna and their family, Raphael, Bethany, Lita, Jim Street, uh, Rob, Francis, Denise, Zolina, Terry, David, Rob, James, Karen, Richard, Patty, Noah, Tom, Anita, Betty, Rabbi Greenberg, Michelle, Rabbi Barsky, Anne, Sean, Elizabeth, Sedona, Chad, Ron, Timothy, Cheryl, Thomas, Mary Grace, Lad, Bridget and her family, Maria, Barbara and Naomi, Adam, Lisa, Nathan, and Myron. So that's our list. And again, once we get the website all updated and everything, as we're going through this transition, all of those prayer requests will be on the website where we can follow along and just go there and make sure to pray for each of those needs. Abba, Father, 
We just pray right now and ask that uh, you would work mightily in each and every one of these needs, that uh, we know that you knew about every one of these before we mentioned them, but our heart joins with your heart, our words join with your words as you speak forth healing and provision to meet the needs of our community. Abba, we have so many people that are dealing with different health needs, especially Fred, who's in the hospital right now. And we just ask that you will make him whole and well in Yeshua's name. Amen and amen. Uh, I also wanted to briefly say that we had such a great time uh, this weekend at the uh, picnic with Dothan Messianic and with Am Yisrael. If you weren't able to come, we're setting up another one for in July. We're hoping to do it at on July 4th weekend uh, at the Blue Angel campgrounds if they're available. We're waiting to find out if that's available, if they're open that back up uh, for public use. But uh, we'll make that a mick pick, so that'll be a time where we'll not only have picnic, but those that desire to have mikvah will be able to do that also. And uh, so those are our upcoming things happening. Uh, please be praying not only for uh, the leadership of our congregation, all the people in various places, but especially for the, we have a number of young couples that are uh, in the preparation time to uh, get married. And we want to pray that God uh, provides all of the things that they need. And we have a couple of them that are uh, right now looking for housing opportunities. So please be praying for them that God opens up the perfect door for both of them. Okay, so we're in Romans in context. And last week we were in Romans chapter 9. We stopped at uh, uh, verse 18. So we always jump back one slide so that we're uh, starting with a running start, catching up where we are. So let's look at Romans chapter 9 verse 16. So then, it does not depend on the one who wills or the one who strives, but on God who shows mercy. And, and let me once again reiterate that this is not saying that we don't have a participation in our redemptive work. In other words, God provided redemption the same way that he provided a means of escape for Noah, but Noah still had to build the ark. He provided a means of escape for Abraham, but Abraham still had to leave Ur of Chaldees and go to the Promised Land. He had made a way of escape for Israel to come out of Egypt, but they still had to put the blood on the doorpost, and they still had to pack up and leave Egypt. God provides the means of escape, the way of escape, by His mercy, but you and I still have to participate in that by, in other words, in, in simplicity, uh, for instance, we have to repent. God doesn't repent for us. He requires repentance or teshuvah to turn back to Him, to turn away from sin, to, to make a change in our life. But He does not force us to do that, nor does He do it for us. We have to do that. So while God provides the mercy and the grace, uh, chesed and rachamim, we still have to participate in that by taking opportunity to follow the means of escape to do what he says. So it's not because we do it that mercy comes, but because mercy is available that we can do it. It's likewise, we're not saved by obeying the law, but because we have been redeemed, because we have had that provision, we can then follow and keep the commandments that God gives us. Romans 9, 17. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this purpose I raised you up to demonstrate my power in you, so my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. 
So then he has mercy on whom he wills, and he hardens whom he wills. And again, we talked about last week how when God, uh, the scripture says God hardened his heart, it really just means he allowed his heart to remain hardened or to be hardened. Uh, And that was not because uh, God just determined that Pharaoh would have a hard heart. But as we read through the scripture, we see that Pharaoh turns back to a hard heart over and over and over and then God just allows his heart to remain hardened. It's the same way the scripture says God will not always strive with man. It's the same way that God will not force you and I. He will give us opportunity to repent, to turn to him, to uh, be sorrowful for our sins, and he will forgive us for those things and cleanse us from that unrighteousness. But if we keep turning back to our own vomit, to our own sin, there's a point at which we will not choose to turn back. It doesn't mean as mercy uh, disappears or his grace disappears or the provision disappears, but our hearts will not turn back anymore. We will, will have become, uh, as the scripture says, our hearts will be seared as with the hot iron that we believe a lie and are damned. It's not that God's mercy runs out or that it diminishes or there's any less of it. It's that we don't participate in that mercy. And again, with Pharaoh, Pharaoh hardened his heart, hardened his heart, hardened his heart. And it got to the point where uh, his heart had become so hardened it was no longer pliable to respond in any way but in a negative way toward Israel. Okay, Romans 9.19, you say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who has resisted his will? Uh, And this is saying, well, if if God has provided mercy and it's not up to us, then why does God find fault? In other words, if we can't do it right, then is it fair for God to find fault or to uh, accuse us or hold us accountable for our sins if that's just the way it is? And and that's not what is being said here, but that's our response to it. In other words, people will sometimes say it's unfair for God to judge us when he made us sinners. He made us in such a way where we couldn't overcome our flesh, where we had to sin, and therefore it would be unjust for God to judge anybody as sinful or as unrepentant because it's not their fault. They can't help but sin. But we know from the scriptures that's not true. The scripture says that the Torah is not heavy or burdensome, that it is something we can follow. And the truth is that everybody listening to this video, everybody who's hearing me teach right now, today chose not to sin. None of us, at least I'm, I'm assuming, none of us have committed murder today. So every one of us made the conscious choice not to murder somebody today. Now, some of us may have come closer than others, but all of us chose not to. There are, we didn't rob banks. We didn't do many things that the scripture says not to do uh, because we chose not to do those things. Uh, we tend to only <coughs> make excuses for our not being able to keep the commandments on those commands that we have a difficult time making the choice to keep, or we decide we want to not keep them. <coughs> Verse 920. But who in the world are you, O man, who talks back to God? Will what is formed say to the one who formed it, Why did you make me like this? Does the potter have no right over the clay to make the same lump one vessel of honor and another common use? And again, this is the response of God to that question. This isn't fair. Why why does he still find fault for who has resisted his will? And the answer is, who are you to think you know more than the one who created you? 
Who are you to judge God? Who are you to determine that God doesn't have the right to do what he does? Now understand that that doesn't mean that God made anybody that is not savable. Yeshua died so that all could come to repentance. Everybody has the same opportunity to come to faith, to turn their hearts over to God, to accept Yeshua as the Messiah, to be born again, to repent of their sins, to be filled with the Ruach, to walk in the power of God. Everybody has that available to them. Just some don't choose to take advantage of that means of escape. And when we look at things and we judge God by our failure and we consider our failure his failure, then we're doing what this is talking about and saying that the clay has rule over the potter rather than the other way around. Romans 9.22, Now what if God, willing to demonstrate his wrath uh, and to make his power known, endured with much patience, vessels of wrath uh, designed for destruction. And what if he did so to make known the riches of his glory on vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand? Now, I love these verses, and and they're constantly misapplied and uh, misunderstood, but this is one of the most powerful statements of God's grace, and that is that he created us in such a way that we could choose to not follow him. He gave us a free will where we had the choice And when we see people that are in the same circumstances as us, the same situation as us, the same family background, the same economic uh, place, all of those things, where one chooses to walk away from God while we choose to walk toward God, it's a demonstration of God's grace and mercy that we can compare ourselves not as if we're better than them, but there but for the grace of God go I. That we can look and say, God's grace is so powerful that that could have been me had I not turned to his grace and fulfillment and and promises. It's not that God brought his wrath to to just demonstrate his anger and his wrath, but it's, it's to show us just how far he reached down to get us. Just how deep in the mire, in the muck, in the filth, in the junk we were and how great a Savior we have, that he reached way down into that to get you and I. And we look at those markers, we can see people that haven't yet turned, and we pray for them that they will turn. And and the scripture says that, that through God's Ruach, through his powerful spirit, we can actually reach into the very fires and pull people out. And we have to have that desire to do so. We have to have a heart to, to reach out to the lost and to, to share the good news with them. But as we're doing that, we can look and say, wow, look how deep I was. And God in his mercy and his grace pulled me out of that. And seeing his wrath upon some shows us what our end would have been had we not turned toward him in that way. Romans 9, 24, even us he called not only from the Jewish people, but also from the Gentiles. As he says in Hosea, I will call those who were not my people, my people, and her who was not loved, beloved. And again, if you're watching this and you come from a non-Jewish background, from a, a Gentile background, and understand that the word Gentile is not a dirty word, it's not a evil word. There are Gentiles who believe it. Gentile has become like Pharisee. You know, when, when we talk about uh, scriptures, there's so many times when people use the word Pharisee uh, in as a synonym for hypocrite. 
And so we think Pharisee, evil, hypocrite, bad. But the scripture talks about Pharisees who believed in Yeshua. They didn't stop being Pharisees because they believed in Yeshua. There were good Pharisees and there were bad Pharisees. There were righteous Pharisees and there were unrighteous Pharisees. There were saved Pharisees and there were unsaved Pharisees. Likewise, the word Gentile denotes someone who's not from the nation Israel, from the people Israel. And there are those that are unrighteous in that group and there are those that are righteous in that group. And we need to be careful that we don't diminish the value of people that God sent his son into the world to redeem by using a term in a way that's negative when it was not intended to be that way. Abraham's promise was through him all the nations of the earth would be saved. And so Gentile is not an evil word or a bad word. There are those Gentiles, those people that were not from Israel naturally, that were not from the natural olive tree, that have been grafted in as wild branches to the olive tree. And those people uh, are still Gentiles. Their genetics don't change just because their uh, internal uh, soul has been redeemed. And so he says, even us he called not only from the Jewish people, but also from the Gentiles. And I am so thankful for the one new man, for the idea that God has one man or one mankind, one people, Israel, that's made up of both Jew and non-Jew, both the natural branches that were uh, regrafted in and the wild branches that are grafted in together to the same tree, to the same root, to the same branch that is Yeshua. And he says, I will call those who are not my people, my people. You're not secondary. You're not second class. If you're a Gentile believer, if you weren't born Jewish, that doesn't make you less than Jewish believers. And and please do yourself a favor. Now, I know it's especially now that we have DNA tests and all these things where we can try to search out and find if there's a single drop or, or cell of Jewishness within our genetics. But please understand that your redemption and my redemption as a Jewish believer in Yeshua, and if you're a non-Jewish believer in Yeshua, your redemption is not based upon your blood in any way. It's not based upon your genetics in any way or your heritage in any way. It's based simply upon the heritage, the blood, and the genetics of Yeshua. Our redemption is not because we're Jewish or non-Jewish. It's because of the blood of Yeshua and the promise and prophecy fulfilled uh, through him for our atonement. So God looks at every non-Jewish believer and calls them my people and my beloved just like any Jewish believer. There are still distinctions between Jews and non-Jews just as there are distinctions between men and women between those that own businesses and those that work for them. There's still distinctions and roles, but there are not distinctions in being my people or less than my people. And this is so important because this has been so mistaught, this has been so misunderstood, and it's harmful and hateful, and it's the opposite of God's plan for there to be one people of God, both Jewish and non-Jewish. Okay, in Romans 9.26, it continues and says, it, And it shall be that in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, there they shall be called the sons of the living God. In Romans 20, 9.27, it says, Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, 
Though the number of B'nai Israel be as the sand of the sea, only the remnant shall be saved. For Adonai will carry out his word upon the earth, bringing it to an end and finishing quickly. Now I want to point out again, and this is again so important that we understand as we continue talking about this dynamic of Jew and non-Jew, as Paul is leading into the next couple of chapters that deal strongly with this issue and understanding the unity of the body, the oneness of the body of Messiah, the Jew and non-Jew, one new man idea. He says that you, he would call you who are not my people as if you were the sons of God. And so Gentile believers are consistent with all other parts of Israel in being the sons of the living God. And Isaiah cried out concerning us. He says, the B'nai Israel shall be as a sound decision, but only the remnant shall be saved. Now, listen, later on we're going to read in Romans where it says, and all Israel shall be saved. This is the same book and same writer. And here it says, only the remnant shall be saved. And later on it says, and all Israel shall be saved. And we need to understand that the remnant is talking about Jewish believers. There has always been a remnant of Jewish believers ever since the time of Messiah. There have always been Jewish people who not only followed the ways of Judaism, but followed the ways of Messiah ever since uh, Messiah was here. And there's consistently a remnant, and that remnant will be saved. But when it talks about all Israel will be saved, that's talking about both the Jew and the non-Jew as part of the commonwealth of Israel and this understanding of Jew and non-Jew grafted into the same olive tree. It is not saying, and I wish it was different, I, I wish we could read this different, I wish we could pull a verse out of context and make it so, I, I wish for my family's sake, for my, my the generations that came before me and those generations that come after me that are Jewish people that do not yet believe in Yeshua, and, and those that have passed and gone on to the world to come without faith in Yeshua, they do not get an instant buy, an instant entrance into the kingdom, into this all Israel that shall be saved just because they're genetically Jewish. It's not biblically sound to say that a, a Israelite that was broken off, that was cut off from among the people for rejecting the Torah, for rejecting God's words, is not saved just because of their genetics. It takes a new birth experience to be part of the kingdom of God. I, I wish it wasn't so. I have so many family members and friends that are Jewish that I would love to see come to faith, but they have not come to faith yet. And, and, and those that have gone on ahead of us, and, and to say that all Jewish people, to take that verse that says, and all Israel shall be saved, and, and turn it to mean all Jewish people shall be saved, is a rejection of the very word of God that said that you must believe on the Lord Yeshua, that you must proclaim his as your Messiah, that you must be born again to enter into the kingdom. It's very clear. It says you shall not even see the kingdom unless you're born again. So it's important that we understand in context, and again, we're talking about the context of the Scripture and how God uh, says these things, and, and the words that say all Israel shall be saved come after where Romans 27 says only the remnant shall be saved. Now, I'm so thankful that that remnant is growing and that more Jewish people have come to faith in Messiah since 1967 than all the centuries before combined. And I'm looking forward to a great revival among Jewish people, both 
in Israel and outside of Israel, and I want every Jewish person to come to faith in Yeshua the Messiah. And I'm reaching out and I'm not giving up on one soul, but I'm also not going to contradict the Word of God, which tells us that one must be born again to enter the kingdom. For Adonai will carry out his word upon the earth, bringing it to an end and finishing quickly. Adonai's word is true, and his plan of redemption is true, and he's not going to change that. He is unchangeable, and his word is fixed, and it's going to come about just as he said. Romans 9.29, And just as Isaiah foretold, unless Adonai Tsevot, unless the Lord of hosts had left us seed, we would have become like Sodom and, and resembled Gomorrah. What shall we say then that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness? That is, a righteous, uh, that is a righteousness of faith. And again, he says, just as Isaiah foretold, if, if Adonai hadn't left us a seed, if, if he hadn't provided redemption through Yeshua, we would all have become like Saddam and Gomorrah, like, like the, the, what we're seeing around us today, this turning away from God and turning toward unrighteousness, this, uh, this understanding that everything goes and that, that uh, morality is fluid and flowing and changes as generations come and as cultures change and, and shift. It's not what it is. He left us the seed. He left us the promise. He left us Yeshua so that we would not become that way. And what shall we say? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attain righteousness, that is a righteousness of faith. But Israel who pursued a Torah of righteousness did not reach the Torah. Why? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were works. They stumbled over the stone of stumbling. Just as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Whoever believes in him shall not be put to shame. And this is saying, what should we say? That the Gentiles were able to be saved, but the Jewish people weren't? That the Gentiles came to faith, but the Jews didn't? Uh, how, how come? He said, why? Because the Israel, the Jewish people, had become so enamored with their own opinions, their own thoughts, and their own understanding of the Scripture that they missed the actual message of the Scripture. From the very beginning where Adonai said, let there be light, the promise of Messiah entered into the scripture. And somehow, as the Jewish people, as my people, as my ancestors, dug deeper and deeper and deeper into their own understandings, they missed the promise of God. That has also happened among the Gentiles. And I don't want to, I, I never try to teach about one side without talking about the other. But the Gentile church, the Christian world, has so departed from the things of God and so changed that they now have teachings about uh, eternal security. That, that once you say a simple prayer, once you say these words, you cannot be lost. To the point of where people teach that the soul and the body are so separate that the body can sin, but the soul will not be accounted to sin because someone said that simple prayer. There are those that teach that there's redemption for Jewish people, as I said, outside of, of Yeshua, that Jewish people have their own way of redemption. There are those that teach that the Gentile church replaced the Jewish people in Israel. There are those that teach all kinds of false teachings about prophecy and fulfillment. There are those that teach all kinds of acceptance of sin as if it's acceptable now within the Gentile church. So I don't want to point at the Jews and say the Jews deviated from God's word so far. 
that they lost the Messiah without saying that much of the Christian church has also deviated so far from the scriptures that they no longer see the Jewish Messiah of Israel. They see a recreated Greco-Roman figure who is the savior of the Gentile world apart from Torah and without a foundation of Torah to follow and believe in. And for both the Jewish people and the non-Jewish people, Yeshua has become a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, and the scripture says, whoever believes in him shall not be put into shame. Those who believe in Yeshua, as the scripture teaches, will not be put to shame. Thank you so much for watching. I hope you'll continue next week as we delve into chapter 10 of Romans in context. Thank you and shalom.